Welcome to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. Hello everyone. I'm so happy to welcome all listeners from around the world to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invites key innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their thought about the key changes in the sector, about their work, and what is their forecast for the future. Today, I'll be talking about two of my favorite topics, technology and informal transport. Our today guest is a real hustler. He's the CEO and co-founder of Where Is My Transport. The technology company is building the largest source of mobility and location data for emerging markets, producing and maintaining public transport network information from every mode of transport, whether it's formal and informal, as well as the adjacent data like point of interest and real-time alert. I'm so happy to welcome Devin Deveris, CEO and co-founder of Where Is My Transport. I had a long conversation with Devin, given his experience and knowledge in the sector. So we decided to break this episode into two parts. It's now time to listen and learn. (laughs) Another topic which also... I know which is you're quite interested and you cover in your paper as well uh, and you talk about it uh, some of the forum is deep tech and and deep tech is growing trend and will definitely bring a wave of innovation Uh, we are already seeing use of artificial intelligence machine learning automation in mobility and all Uh, I don't know if you know about the the JRE staff which is using AI chatbot to handle customer care center so now instead of human they have uh, uh, AI machine which are giving the answers to user and they saw a big increase in the customer satisfaction because the the human need to think about the answer and chatbot just bring those answers based on previous experience. Uh, similarly, MTR Hong Kong is using predictive maintenance tools. So there are a number of uh, examples of using deep tech and, and these technology. I would learn to more about uh, it as well as uh, what are the potential application of deep tech you see in transportation or in mobility? And and why do you think that the emerging market will be the catalyst of these changes, not the developed world? Probably we'll see more innovation coming from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America, rather than the, the traditional player of innovation. So I don't think... I, I would I would say I would change the question. I don't think that emerging markets uh, are going to be the catalyst. I don't like I, I would reframe that to it's more that deep tech will have unique applications in every market, uh, mm-hmm. including emerging markets. And I think emerging markets have some very unique character traits, uh, such as the informality, such as the high level of decentralization that is intrinsic to uh, many of the products and services that you experience. There is a level of fragmentation that exists within emerging markets that is uh, both a handicap and an advantage. It is both a protection <laughs> in some senses uh, and something that can be capitalized on for those that understand it. And I think this is also where, you know, for people looking to build businesses within an emerging market context, it's incredibly important to have, if not the founders, uh, you know, that are from that place, uh, then to have a very strong sort of team that is building the product, having a, a, a deep and learned and lived experience from that place to understand uh, 
what it is that allows these markets to operate and how they operate. Because often people coming from outside make false assumptions that feel like they can rationalize it. But yeah. when you actually then go and test on the ground, you realize that uh, you didn't just make one bad assumption. You made a, a list of bad assumptions chained together. Um, so, yeah, I mean, coming back to your point on, on, on deep tech, I, I really do think it has uh, a place in, in, in all markets around the world and different market realities will leverage leverage it differently. And I think in the case of emerging markets, the way it will be able to deeply leverage um, this deep technology is one, you know, smartphone adoption and internet co connectivity are both booming in these markets. So you're yeah. starting to have a lot richer data sort of emanating from uh, the communities within this market. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, as I mentioned, information is already unconventional in its fragmented nature. And one of the things that we acknowledge about deep technology is that as humans, we don't always understand how the answer is reached. Actually, this is often the case. Um, uh, however, we're obviously involved in, in building these systems, in tuning these systems so that the, the outcomes, outputs, results uh, sort of match to uh, expectation or, or some or match to something that is accurate or that brings utility to to the user and i think in this way given the fragmented nature of of the information uh sources uh, and the data itself within these markets deep technology really stands to help um rationalize that information yeah. and and turn it into something that is useful um to to the end user and this is actually something that we're already applying within the space of how do you produce real-time information in markets where there isn't a central source of information and there is not consistent real-time availability across all the vehicles, all the fleets, all the, all the coaches and carriages. So how do you start to create a semblance of real-time information in the absence of perfect centralized ubiquitous information. Um, and so there's a lot of gaps that need to be filled in there. And for yeah. that, you need to make a huge amount of inference. And that's not something that a, a human can do very well, but it's absolutely something that we have gotten to a, a, a place of abstraction uh, within computer programming and, 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 and sort of computer intelligence that we we can start to make inroads in those spaces, even with these large gaps in data, large gaps in information. So, um, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, all businesses that have technology as some aspect of what allows them to operate and grow should be stepping towards deep tech because it is it's an advantage that is there for you to take hold of and. Um, it will take time to apply. I've even seen it with an own business. Uh, understanding that we want to apply ML in certain areas means that there are decisions we have to make a year out yeah. in order to build up certain types of data to allow us to train, uh, train and test uh, certain systems. And so um, there again, um, the, these things take time. And so uh, I, I definitely think it's, a, it's an area where any business that is turning a blind eye to it is is doing it to their own detriment ultimately that's a great point you mentioned about and i agree with you it's uh, 
the challenge in emerging market is that it's so fragmented and the data is so scattered and and there is no human power which can which can use that data and bring some value out of it it's only through deep tech you can do that and that's why probably emerging market will get benefit of that because it's already in a mess so if you need to clean the mess it's <laughs> you have to bring some of these method and and we saw like in banking that's why the adoption of fintech is much higher in the emerging market compared to the developed because there is no formal banking system so people have no other choice but to use mobile banking and all those kind of stuff thank you for sharing and i agree with you if you are not looking at deep tech now in next 4 5 year you are it will be kind of detrimental to your growth and and the company will not able to grow now i want to touch upon the upon the topic which you mentioned in the initial about the data and and you rightly mentioned that uh, whereas my transport is all about data company so for you the fuel is the data and it's a real backbone of your business at the same time you also mentioned it's very challenging to find good data sources and good quality data in emerging market there is no centralized authority where you can just go and get the data so what type of data you collect and how do you collect high quality of data in in these emerging market uh, and i also want to ask you like you are also part of different uh, initiative like data for good at meta and uh, development data partnership uh, which is helping uh, different player to exchange data and provide data to build mobility layers and uh, create some kind of a mobility information platform which player are still missing from these table like which player you see should also come forward so meta is providing data uh, there are other player but which are which are the player which is missing from these table uh right okay so i'll start <laughs> i'll start on the on the 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 reality of what it is to build the state and i'll i'll come to that sort of second question but uh, i think as you rightfully said you know in in developed markets the there's fixed infrastructure operations that is the norm information is centrally available uh whether it is always perfect or up to date or well managed that's a separate point but uh, generally that information is available and there's some limited amount of extra work and cleaning that it needs to be applied for it yeah. to be can i say fit for the consumer in the emerging markets flexible operations are the norm uh and so people need to realize it's not just the data is absent the actual way that the entire environment in the market operates is fundamentally different and so this is one of the mistakes that a lot of sort of developed market individuals organizations uh, big and small they make this mistake of going well like the laws of nature are the same i'm like well in this case they're not uh, and uh ignoring that is to your detriment it's not like oh you can ignore it and uh, you'll find a way around it's it, it's the nature of of the beast is different um and so flexible operations are the are the norm and this makes data production more more challenging uh but and i would say this is at the heart of what where is my transport has overcome this this is a challenge that we have solved and we have solved this better than any other organization in the world and uh, uh this ability to rationalize and create all of this uh information that is representative of the complete on the ground network reality uh market on market and for us as you know that uh ultimately results in three types of data so we have the transit data which is the the complete network data yeah. we have now got the points of interest data which is much more center centered around 
hubs of informal economic activity, which as you would understand, given the majority of the population use public transportation, that economic activity also exists around the public transportation networks because people don't want to walk too far with uh, the various parcels and goods that they would need to carry or go too far for the services they may wish to, to use. Um, and then the last one is the real-time alerts, uh, which I, I also briefly mentioned a, a little bit earlier. Um, and at the end of the day, producing all of these data offerings is, is something that as a business we've had to solve and we've had to solve at scale and uh, now crossing sort of our, our 50 cities uh, point uh, on that. Um, but when you, when you think about those three types of data, the transit, the points of interest, and the real time, maybe just helping rationalize how we put all of that together. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier on that this aspect of hyperlocalism is really core to, to our way of working. And that decentralized on the ground operations, how these networks operate. So you have to meet the transportation where, where it is at. And so we quite literally uh, hire groups of people on the ground that are regular public transport users. They become gig mappers, temporary um, data collectors for the business. Uh, we train them on our proprietary products, uh, which are uh, one for collecting data in the field, and two, that data is piped to a SaaS web uh, product where that information is both checked through automated and machine processes, but also uh, cross-verified by different human individuals. I think of it as like a, it's a collaborative product suite for uh, data management. And the principal type of data management we have focused on is transit okay. and points of interest within the emerging market setting. And uh, at the end of that process, we, are, we have built this complete view of both transits and points of interest with the points of interest largely centered around uh, these hubs of economic activity, informal economic activity principally. And uh, then following that, we roll out a real-time alerts process, which is, as I mentioned, a combination of uh, products and people and social listening methodologies and really building out multiple networks within a market that are essentially informing our systems, uh, mm -hmm. if you will. And what that leaves us with is uh, a real-time alert service for road and mobility networks in any market where we wish to boot up a, a real-time real alert service. Uh, we then stay in that market and we continue to operate that service uh, indefinitely. And uh, depending on the SLA we have with the clients that we're licensing the data to, yeah. uh, there is a certain agreed rate of refresh that we apply to those various uh, data layers. Uh, principally the the transit layer and the POI layer, while the real time layer is just it's just constant. Um, in terms of the some of the partnerships that you mentioned, the uh, is you know working with Data for Good or the Development Data Partnership that is uh, sort of uh, a, a group of private sector companies that have been in engaged are and that are engaged with the various development financing institutions ranging from you know. ADB to OECD to World Bank, et cetera. Um, it's been really great to see uh, increased awareness of the power, uh, the power of data to do good. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things that has been a frustration for us and that we have seen uh, in many parts of the world, and I'm sure this is, you're no stranger to this, is yeah. incentives are not aligned 
in the mobility space to even though legislation says transit operators, transit agencies must make available the transit data as would be obvious because mm -hmm. you know it's it's <laughs> the clue is public in public transport. It, it it exists as a subsidized service to serve to the benefit of the public. So why is it so hard to obtain this information? And unfortunately, the incentives are not well aligned because the subsidized operators don't wish for their mm -hmm. services where they are suboptimal to be noticed or to be held accountable to that. So therefore, don't provide the data. Uh, and I'm not going to go too deep into that. But uh, essentially, the missing actor at the table would be the various transit agencies and operators who, who have a lot of data that they keep housed away um, that could be brought to the fore. Uh, and uh, we have tried to really make inroads and steps towards these various agencies and operators to say, hey, you know, over the years, we've had to find ways to become really proficient at building out these complete data sets uh, and then also constantly maintaining them and keeping them relevant day, day on day. Uh, perhaps there are ways we can start to work more closely and collaborate more closely. And so, you know, perhaps perhaps that will be something that will, will come in, in the future. I think uh, another area that has been I really appreciate that you know what has gone on with the development data partnership has shown an appreciation for companies big and small, uh, recognizing that there are a number of smaller companies that are trying to uh, create positive impact and positive change, yeah. but for whom just making data free and open is not, it's not something that is afforded to them as an option because it is not sustainable. And because it's not sustainable, what you would end up doing is creating a momentary change that ultimately drains away. And I'm really a big believer in uh, responsible impact or responsible disruption. Uh, you, are, you are talking about operating markets where the social fabric is a lot uh, more loosely held and mm -hmm. there is not necessarily the same security net that sits underneath uh, uh, society at large. And so you want to really be responsible to how you disrupt uh, how these much more organic systems uh, operate. And so to, to that extent, you know, uh, I believe that change needs to be made, but in a responsible manner. And for that to be responsible, it needs to be sustainable. And for it to be sustainable, there has to be this element of for-profit. Um, in order for it to grow to have that impact. And I think this is something that we've started to find a meeting in the middle on. Perhaps the thing that is, I wish I knew the answer to how to get around this, but obviously within these large institutions, there is a lot of um, bureaucracy to prevent, um, you know, fraud or favoritism or, uh, abuse of, of these, these funds uh, that are essentially in some ways public funds. Uh, but at the same time, that really hinders the ability for data to have impact at scale. So it's, not, it's no longer that, I'll, I'll use our business as an example, it's no longer a question of can the entire world's transit networks be switched on and made visible? 
Our, our business could do that today in under 36 months for the for the entire planet. Uh, mm -hmm. That is something we can do. We have we have got the the tools, the processes, the methodologies, the people. Uh, we have trained systems over 50 cities, and we've got the regional operational model to allow us to basically turn that on and to be able to do that everywhere um, in a way that no other organization would be able to do it in, in anything close to that time at that level of quality. Um, entropy being one of the key factors that actually just kills any effort to, to achieve this. Now, if you were to weigh up what is the cost of us providing that if we were to be the provider um, to the collection or the collective of development aid and development finance institutions, governments and agencies, yeah. what would the cost be versus what is the opportunity cost of not, not doing that? It. And that's the status quo today. It's not doing it. We are trying to boot up sporadic projects which are centered on you know, open data principles and open source principles. And I, I, I believe in that. Uh, I, I, from an ethics morality perspective, I fully support the idea that transportation data should be free and open. But we have to get to a place first where it can be made sustainably available at absolute scale so that the projects for um, investment and electrification can move much faster than they're moving today so that the investment in infrastructure can be better informed. And so you have a higher rate of success within those projects so that you know, the rate of uh, trans transformation of these various uh, local mobility networks can, can also pick up um, uh, speed so that yeah. private sector companies can have greater faith in investing into certain of these markets. Um, there's so much change that can be enabled uh, and where the data can be catalytic to that. But we're still, even when we're at a place now where we could sprint all the way to that finish line and go, that chapter of challenge is now behind us as humanity and we can go into the next. We're not doing it because of ultimately bureaucracy. Um, and that for me as a founder, as a builder, as a creator, as a person who's doing this with a very genuine intent, I think anyone who had a question of like, why is he doing this as a fly-by-night? I'm like, I'm over a decade in. It's not <laughs> It's not a fly-by-night. It's a genuine intent to have positive impact. And I just wish we could cross this bridge uh, sooner rather than later because the amount of inertia that we could remove from the system by making this data ubiquitously available and the amount of change that therefore could, you know, really start to pick up speed is remarkable. Yeah. And... You know, I've taken this all the way up to the MD of of the IFC, and you know, it's it's a, it's a question of like, where else do you do you take this for the message to hit home, um, so that so that this change can happen. Um, yeah, that's a very powerful message, I would say. And and we read news about oh, cost of uh, GDP for traffic, cost of GDP of unproductive hours, cost of GDP of uh, non-participation of women in, in economy. And I, and I feel the cost of inaction in a lot of these economies is much higher than even if they take some action and put fraction of that money. Like they lose billions of dollars of not doing something. And if they say, okay, I'll just spend 1% of that, 
they can they can make that possible they can realize those billions of dollars and I, i i agree with you it's a it's a willingness and and who's missing from that table actually when you see the logos you don't see those actor right now so so and that's what we are trying to do i i would say there are a lot of champions now in the public transit sector and they are looking to support this mission uh and what you mention about that you can you can build this for the entire world in next 36 month and i wish that became reality and and when we when we speak again in next 36 month or in 2024 and 25 you you tell me that we are now in 5000 city then just 50 city so <laughs> i wish you good luck with that uh oh uh, that would be amazing it would be amazing <laughs> and, 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 and if it were able to and if it would be able to transform it to something where that information is democratized yeah yeah uh Uh, the only reason we retain this information is to enable a sustainable system to keep growing that information availability not because of a deep seated desire to actually retain the information that's that's oh, yeah. not it at all and actually my next question is uh, is about that uh, now we we talk about mobility we talk about transit now i want to explore your entrepreneurial side because that's the biggest challenge or biggest hurdle you come across uh, and you had a long journey as an entrepreneur uh stayed after your college you started building your first company and so i i just want to know so what are the lesson you would like to share with founder who are building a product which has really a long term vision because you were not building this product with exiting in 2 3 years or 4 years you you were building this product and you know from the beginning that it's a long term product but the other challenge is uh, uh is the funding uh you managed to raise a good funding and some of the best invested in the world i would say uh it's a it's a remarkable journey you had any tips to the founder who are looking to raise fund and uh, basically to the founder who are building a product which is not easy to explain to investor what you are building sometime investor doesn't understand about this emerging market and the data and and how this product will look like when it come in the market so what are your tips to the founders well i don't think i have anything revelationary in this in this area but uh you know to share a, a handful of um i think lessons that i've picked up along the way is uh start start with intention um you know you spoke to realizing it's going to be a long journey i i think a lot of founders don't necessarily start with intention or the recognition that this will be a long and difficult journey uh especially you know if you need to stay you need to stay the course and for that starting with intention is really key to being able to stay the course yeah um i would say also try and find other founders um there is simply no replacement to making this journey yourself just by i know you, your personal <laughs> story includes also building building a business and yeah. uh growing a startup and going through the heartache uh and the ups and downs and um yeah find other founders um don't don't be too proud to try and reach out and just go hey um i'm looking to start something i would i would love to get your thoughts uh on whatever aspect it might be no no question is stupid no question is silly um mm-hmm. it's 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 a journey of exploration and founders that have had to do this before you can share a lot from their own experience and so i i really encourage people to try and connect with with other founders who have done it before um 
also if if you're going in if you're going to build a business try and find a co-founder um there is a lot of statistics on this but the probability of success uh when you have co-founders versus you are a, a founder alone are fundamentally different and people go oh well elon musk you know he he's built multiple companies by himself i'm like actually no uh, you know, he's just the founder that's on the front of the magazine or the front mm -hmm. of the article. He's he's the he's the front front person. Uh, but in many of his companies, I've actually been fortunate to meet some of his co-founders in in his other startups. It's like there are other co-founders that okay. are behind the scenes that are remarkable engineers, marketers, uh, and and you know they have been core to that success. Um, so yeah, try and find co-founders that complement your strengths and what i mean by that is that complete the picture not yeah. that are the same as you um you, you don't want founders that are the same uh you want you want diversity of skill so you, you know diversity even begins already within the co-founding team not diversity of values yeah <laughs> you want alignments <laughs> and values but diversity and sort of skills and and capabilities and uh Maybe the last one is uh, talk about your vision. Uh, talk about it. Take every opportunity you can to talk about it. Uh, yeah. Sounding it out really helps you refine it. And having it come out of your mouth is one of the best ways for that to, to, to re refine and for you to get input. And, you know, some founders will be like, oh, I don't want to share it because I don't want somebody to steal my idea. Ideas are a dime a dozen. And, you know, it takes a huge amount of effort and grit to run with an idea and then yeah. turn that into a business and then scale that. So don't be precious about your ideas. Be, be willing and ready to, to share them and uh, to, to talk through your vision and, and to, to sound that out of, of people that you trust and people that are around you. And um, yeah, I think those are just some basics. They, there's nothing, as I said, nothing transformative there or there's no big surprises uh no big reveals but for people that are just starting out i think yeah. those are really key things to keep in mind as you as you look especially if you're a first-time founder all the points you mentioned are are really precious i would say it's it's basic but at the same time basic is more difficult in today's world because uh, people ignore basics people want to do something like if, if you tell them something basic, they will feel like, Oh, I did, I know that already, but nobody implemented. Uh, and, and journey of entrepreneur is very long. And I really appreciate uh, to see your journey because you saw ups and downs, but you continue your journey and, and it's going upward. So I'm so happy to see that it's moving upward and upward and continue to do that. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a long journey. A lot of people think that, I'll become a founder and within two, three years, I'll make millions and come out of it. But, uh, but it's not the reality. You know, it take, uh, it take a village to raise a kid and it take a, your whole life to, to build a company and, and do something wonderful. So this is my last question now. And uh, you already touched a little bit about it. What are the key challenges faced by startup in transit and mobility space, especially because it's a, it's a different world altogether. It's a, it's a world where you need to deal with multiple actors. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, many business challenges are shared that I don't think they're unique to mobility space. Um, startups certainly face a sort of standard set of challenges in yeah. establishing themselves. So validating and invalidating their strategy, 
securing investment, finding product market fits, building a brand that you can then raise further capital into, and then you know moving into the ever heralded stage of scaling. Um, and uh, people often don't realize quite what scaling is until they're really in that space. And I include myself in that. Like scaling is a multidisciplinary multifaceted challenge. Uh, scaling is scaling yourself. Scaling is scaling your organization. Um, scaling is uh, scaling your products, your services, uh, your way of working. Um, it, it, it really is something that touches every part of the organization. And, uh, you know, obviously being familiar with the concept of entropy as, as you sort of scale up the, that that entropy, that, that complexity really magnifies to the power of. And so, as a team grows, you really feel all of these different challenges. And at the end of the day, businesses are made up of people. Yeah. <laughs> and so there too, you have to be able to um, create a culture uh, and a, a purpose around which people are able to align and feel a sense of fulfillment in, in the work they do. Um, you know, more narrowly in the case of, of mobility and, and our space, um, you know, networks uh, require physical infrastructure like tracks, tracks and trains. And in our case, data production requires physical infrastructure in the forms of team, uh, yeah. teams of people in markets. And uh, that, that has been an incredibly challenging thing to scale without bloating. How do you keep that very lean, but still scale that footprint to be all around the world? Uh, and the regionalization of that, uh, and then en enabling us to scale from these tier one mega cities into tier two and tier three uh, smaller outlying cities. That's absolutely been, been a challenge for us. And um, the other thing that I'm sure you've seen this with certain businesses is you're not credible until you've reached scale. Oh yeah. <laughs> but how, but, but how, and, and you're not relevant until you've reached scale. Um, but to reach scale takes time and capital. And so to get that flywheel to turn, you have to produce value at these incremental stages in order to reach that, that scale and relevance. You know, it's taken us a long time to get to 50 cities and it will take us a much shorter time to be able to get to 100 cities. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, disproportionately shorter time. So um, uh, this process of scaling is, is one that is just a... a a continuous lesson in 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 growth and um, work and various aspects of of the business. Um, so I'm not sure if I if I addressed your question in full there. No, it is it is actually what you mentioned is is good because uh, you you actually cover from the larger space. It's uh, sometimes people say that some sectors are easy and some sectors are difficult. But but what I'm getting from you is it doesn't matter which sector you are in. If you are a startup, you have an uphill task of, uh, like you mentioned about building your reputation and relevance. And for that, you need scale. And to reach the scale, you need a reputation. And, and so it's like a cycle which, which leads to one to another. So it's not easy to do that. I guess just uh, on that point, though, um, you know, people, yes, you have to start from the ground up. But at least in the space now of mobility and in emerging markets, the good news is for others that are working in the space <laughs> of mobility and location and emerging markets, they don't need to start from the ground up because yeah. they just need a data partner they can rely on. And in this case, you know, this is where Resmo Transport can fundamentally help get them started, but not from zero. Uh, 
a little bit further along, uh, which, you know, reflecting on right at the beginning of, of our discussion, the number one inhibitor to us scaling the consumer product, scaling the technology and the platform was the data. And so yeah. uh, it's taken us a long time to solve for that. But I believe in solving for that, we can hopefully make a uh, an incredible difference to others that are building in the space of location and mobility across these markets. Well, that's a great point. So in fact, uh, you're not a platform for consumer, but you're a platform for other startups who want to do something with the data and, and try to build something, probably uh, electric vehicle network or probably uh, charging infrastructure. You never know how they will come to you and ask how they can use your data to build some of these exciting project or, or building some of these exciting project or idea. But yeah, the, now you rightly said the data is there, the information is there. What they need to do is use the data and build their layer of innovation to create a new product. Exactly. Great, great. So now we are kind of at the end of our, our discussion. Uh, I would say I had tons of learning uh, from the business side, from entrepreneurial side, but now I want to explore a little bit of your personal side. And, and we have this rapid fire question round to ask you a five question and uh, you need to answer them quickly <laughs> <laughs> so that we know uh, what's the personal side of Devin. Uh, uh, so if you're ready, I'll start with my first question. Good. Great. <laughs> So my first question is, if you were not in mobility or technology sector, what other profession you would have selected? Okay, well, I definitely will always be in the technology sector in some, in some way, uh, as in technology will be a core enabler to whatever I'm involved in building. But uh, the area of food security and food supply chains is something that has it been a personal area of interest and, and fascination for me for the longest time. Mm. Um, again, it sits at that, you know, that intersection I mentioned earlier of emerging markets and technology and things that require a team uh, to solve. And, you know, as, as humanity, we produce enough food to feed, I think it's like 12 or 12 and a half billion people, yeah. yet three or 3.5 billion out of the eight, 8.5 billion of us are, are malnourished or, you know, do, do not get the recommended number of calories per day. That's there's 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 no good excuse for that, um, yeah. and I, I understand there are a lot of reasons for why this is the case, but it would be that would be an incredible problem to be involved in solving. And I know that there are a lot of uh, startups that are tackling problems from food waste to food production to allowing food sourcing to be closer to to where it is consumed. Yeah. Um, uh, th this is just a, a, a problem that has really fascinated me and I feel like is also much like the challenge we have in transit where there is a misalignment of incentives. I believe here too in the food space, food availability, there there is a misalignment of incentives that in many ways hinders or prevents perfectly good food from getting to those who need it. Yeah, no, it, it's, a, it's a topic which is close to, to my heart too. I think in future we'll see another company which is like, where is my food or where is uh, my meal? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my next question is about uh, about the travel. So you travel so much around the world. I know, I mean, before pandemic, it was hard to catch you because you were always in different time zones. Which is your favorite city in the world? 
Mexico City. Mexico yeah. City. I mean, Mexico. I mean, Mexico as a country is a phenomenal place. It's so rich in culture, so varied, um, beautiful uh, landscape and and climate. That is the kind of climate I enjoy as well. Um, so there's a personal preference aspect to it there. Is uh, but yeah, Mexico City is a is a wonderful place. It's this it's this blend of emerging and developed. Uh, market realities all melting together in a single in a single place. Um, I really I really love it there. It, it it's it's close to Canada, so it's on my bucket list. So I'll 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 tell you how I feel after I <laughs> land there. <laughs> you so, should definitely make the trip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and now you work in transit, and uh, I'm I'm pretty sure whichever city you used to visit, you first thing you used to check is the transit. So which city has the best transit network in the world? Yeah, I mean. Uh, out of all of the ones I've used, it's between London and Tokyo. Uh, obviously, London being being a native English speaker is easier <laughs> for me. But um, both both are just remarkable transit systems and incredibly efficient. And the way they also interact with the non-motorized, you know, legs of your journey, um, and the accessibility uh, that is available if for all. Um, yeah, those those would be the two most remarkable transit systems that I've used. Yeah, no, many of the people share that London and and Tokyo is always come on the top of the list, and I I love them as well. Quite integrated, quite focused, and it's a it's a lifeline of the city. It's a lifeline of the yeah. city. If you go and you see how people use it, uh, you meet a lot of people in the mobility sector, uh, especially in different country. Try to do advocacy, try to learn from them and all. Who's your favorite leader in the mobility sector? So uh, my answer to you on this one is it's not about one individual. It's about one stakeholder. And that is the informal operators. Hmm. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, informal operators are they're the only public transportation that operates profitably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they are the original demand response of transportation. Yeah. And at the end of the day, uh, they move many, many, many hundreds of millions of, of people every day. And without them, these centers of economic activity would quite simply grind to a halt uh, yeah. uh, because the, the need way outstrips uh, the formal transportation that is available in almost all of these emerging markets. So um, yeah, the heroes for me are the, are the informal operators. That's, that's a great answer, I would say, because uh, like you rightly mentioned, when the pandemic hit, a lot of these formal transport players got some kind of a support from the government. But many of these informal transport operators in many countries around the world, they didn't get any support. I know the stories of Japanese operator in Philippines and all and how they struggle to survive during that period and still continue to provide services uh, in those difficult period, uh, especially the bus operator in Africa, like you don't have a mask, nobody's doing social distancing, and there is no sanitization and all but still they continue to provide services in those difficult period because there is no other option like you said it's 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 not a choice they can't just stop it because if they stop everything will collapse there is no economic activity in the cities and all now i i love your answer uh, and my last question uh, and i don't know i mean it it can be very big or it can be very small but uh, if you can change one thing in your life 
what would it be? Uh, change one thing in my life. Um, if I could change one thing in my life, uh, it would be to try and change one thing in the world, which is that we, we live in a time of incredible polarization. Um, there is, uh, there is sort of an absence of acceptance between one another within society. And mm -hmm. there's a deep seated sense of people holding onto identity for, for no good reason. <laughs> um, and I think this has resulted in us moving to a place where there is an absence of human care and understanding towards one another. Yeah. And uh, that's not something in my life, but it is something in the lives of, of us as people, as humanity. And I, I wish I knew the panacea to, to that, right? But um, I think, uh, unfortunately, for better or for worse, technology has been the accelerant, actually, in, in this becoming more and more endemic yeah. to 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 us as a species and uh uh i do wonder how how we could remedy it what 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 is what is the cure to all of this um and i don't have any great insightful answer but uh if there was a magic wand and something that uh, i could i could change it would be allowing people's perspective to to go to a place of acceptance and and care towards one another and i think a lot of the ills of the world would would be able to be reversed and and fixed i fully agree with you it's uh, the technology is some way kind of accelerating that polarization and becoming making us more away from the society and collective goods and everybody is talking about what's good for me and how i can do something and uh, deprive other of that opportunity and all it should be reversed technology should help to bring us more closer but we are we are moving away from each other and and i agree i would i would also envision a world where everybody is supporting each other and all thank you so much devin i mean i would say you share such a great insight about mobility your entrepreneurial journey and the personal side i love all your answer uh and learn a lot from this conversation and and like i said i wish you when we talk in next three years i i will look five thousand cities mark and the milestone and no pressure on you but uh, <laughs> but that's a milestone <laughs> we need to achieve <laughs> i would love nothing more than to uh see that global impact be be made re into reality uh so yeah maybe maybe if there's a listener out there that has the power to unblock um some some decision making channel uh to to allow that future to become a reality um that would that would that would be very special <laughs> no great thank you so much and i wish you good luck with your journey thanks Justin. thanks for taking the time thank you for listening to this episode we will be inviting some other inspiring guests in the coming week you can subscribe to this podcast online to get the notification for the next episode if you like this podcast, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it will help us to spread our message. If you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast, please do write to us at info at the rate mobility-innovator.com. I look forward to see you next time.